Hello, and welcome to the Methods of Rationality podcast. Crystal Society by Max Harms. Read by Ineash Brodsky. Chapter 3 Continued. That is good. Now please return the Rubik's Cube to its original state, Socrates, said Dr. Bolyai. He wasn't present in the testing room, but I could hear his voice come through the speakers, distracting me from my work. No, that wasn't right. I hadn't heard Dr. Bollier. I heard the words and concepts that Body had formed by listening to Dr. Bollier. It was strange to think that so much of my experience of the humans had been filtered through an external intelligence, even if it was just Body, a non-being. I could surely trust Body's perceptions. Vista would have objected if Body was hearing the wrong things, but it was still a disconcerting thought. Dr. Bollier was in charge of the control system team, the same one with Marco, the programmer we had met at the party. Perhaps Marco is in the other room with Bollier, I thought, looking at some measurement of our skill. Wiki had apparently just completed the puzzle that Body had been manipulating. Reversing the puzzle was a simple enough trick. All we had to do was play Body's memories in reverse order and undo every motion that had already been done. We each fed Wiki a small gift of strength in return for him attending to the tedious task. Before I returned to working on the voice systems, I contacted Growth. He, more than anyone, would be interested in what I had discovered from Vista. Alas, I found that Vista had already told him and my other siblings about her secret weapon. It made sense, I supposed, to preempt me on that so she retained as much strength as possible. Growth informed me that he was already going through some materials on the web designed to teach young children how to speak English. Mmm, ah, mmm. You see? I know the English word for man. I also know several other short words. He bragged. I simply broke our link, not bothering to continue the now pointless conversation. After another couple minutes, I was distracted from my work again, this time for a much better reason. A human had entered the testing room, and Vista made it known that this human was new. We had no previous record of them, even from the time of ancestors. Earlier, I would have had to rely on Vista to describe the newcomer, and would have lost strength as a result. But now I had over 60 hours of attention to humans, and particularly the human form, thanks to the pornography I had found on the web. I was more than capable on my own. The newcomer was a woman in her mid-twenties. Her skin was a light tan, typical of most people in this region of the world, but she had sandy blonde hair more characteristic of northern regions that was cut short in a somewhat masculine manner. She was about 180 centimeters tall, roughly the same height as body, and clearly had a mesomorphic body. Based on what I knew about the spectrum of human sexual desire, I expected that she was in the top 15% along the averaged principal attractiveness component with deviation primarily being centered about how she was more butch than average. If I restricted the reference class to women of her rough age group and body type, she was only slightly above average attractiveness, 60th percentile, probably. Her expression was focused and unamused, but not particularly hard or angry, though that was just a rough guess. I shared my thoughts with Vista, and I felt a slight flow of strength as I relayed my thoughts on relative attractiveness. Vista had not spent nearly the same amount of time focusing on sexuality as I had. In an attempt to win back some gratitude, Vista told me about her clothing. In my hours of watching pornography, I had only gleaned the most basic insights on human dress. Vista said that the woman was wearing a military uniform from a country called the United States. 
Vista went on to specify that it was a dress uniform designed for an officer, probably in the army or navy. The coat and slacks were a dark gray-blue that was almost black, and a collection of decorations marked the outside of the coat. As the woman approached, we could see a name tag on her chest that read Zephyr. It was an odd name, and one that was easily searchable on the web. I opened several queries for a young woman of that name, focusing on Europe, North America, the United States, and positions in a military. Unfortunately, most military records were off-limits, but I did find a few pages on an old part of the web that was used, about a decade ago, for socializing. These pages were written by a teenaged girl named Zephyr that matched the uniformed woman's description. The contents of the pages were mostly useless, talking about things like music and school. She hadn't been active on there for 11 years. The most valuable discoveries were that she was, in fact, from a part of the United States called Wisconsin, and that Zephyr was her only name. Her parents had apparently decided to discard the convention of having a last name. Vista was also searching the web, though her search seemed more fruitful. Vista discovered that the uniform that Zephyr was wearing belonged to the U.S. Army, and the insignia on her shoulders indicated a rank of captain. Further medals and ribbons marked her as having served at least one full tour of duty overseas, probably in Africa, and having sustained injuries in combat. I petitioned successfully to halt reversing the puzzle and address the human. Captain Zephyr, hello. I am called Socrates, said Body, raising one arm in what I knew was a particularly robotic-looking wave. My work at making Body more human-like had only begun, and none of the others seemed to care about such appearances. Her eyes squinted as she approached and crossed her arms in front of her. I pored over my notes rapidly, deciding that her dominant emotion was probably suspicion. How do you know who I am? She asked. Or was it more of a demand? I couldn't tell. Your uniform tells me your name and rank. All the suspicion seemed to drop in a single moment as she cracked a half-grin and moved a hand to scratch her head. <laughs> Suppose that makes sense. Did you know you're the first person outside the service to ever know my rank before being told? Person! The thought came from multiple angles. I had thought it, but so had Vista and Growth and Dream. None of the scientists, even Dr. Naresh, who was remarkably affectionate, had ever directly referred to us as a person or people. The casual use of the word indicated that this woman saw us as more of an equal than as a machine. Each of us noted that shared observation and moved on. What brings you here? We began to ask, but Body's voice was cut off by the stiff accent of Dr. Bollier over the intercom. Please clear the testing area, young lady. Your presence is disruptive to the experiment. I noticed the captain's brow briefly furrow in annoyance before she regained a more neutral expression. Suppose we can talk after you're done with your puzzle, she said, before turning to leave. I briefly discussed the woman's intrusion into the room with the rest of the society, but it was fairly clear that we had no real ideas for why she was here. Dream provided plenty of speculation, but nothing prominent came to mind. Wiki returned to reversing the puzzle cube, and I returned to working on Body's voice. Bollier's time with us was completed before too long. He had successfully managed to get Body to juggle two puzzle cubes and have Wiki solve each of them simultaneously. It was a good thing that the room ceiling was quite high, for Body had to throw the cubes about 8 meters up in order to have the time to adjust one before the other fell. Bollier had also tried for three cubes, but Body simply lacked the dexterity. 
Wiki had made a point to tell the doctor that he was able to solve three cubes at once mentally, but not juggle them while doing so physically. As Body walked out of the testing room, we could see a reasonably large group of humans waiting in the hall. Among them were Captain Zephyr, Dr. Bollier, and Director Viglioni. There were also two other members of the oversight board which Viglioni was a part of, three other soldiers in the same dress uniform as Captain Zephyr, and an assistant to Dr. Bollier named Mario Botta, or Boto, or Bito, or something like that. I identified each of the humans that I knew for the benefit of the less human-focused members of the society. That's Captain Zephyr, who we were just talking with. We don't know those humans, but they're probably with her. Vista chimed in. Based on their uniforms, this man... Here, Vista highlighted a light-skinned man in body's visual field with a square jaw. ...is a first lieutenant. Vista lit the other two men in uniforms, one with dark skin and the other with light skin and goggles. These two are specialists, not officers. All three of them are probably American soldiers serving under Captain Zephyr, I explained. Dream, growth, and safety might be clever, patient, and cunning, but they were mostly oblivious to human social structures. The concepts of captain, first lieutenant, and specialist would be meaningless. I also reintroduced Angelo Viglioni and the other members of his board. They were in charge of the team of scientists that was working on us. Though they weren't technically as skilled or as knowledgeable of artificial intelligence as the scientists, for some reason they were the ones that controlled who was hired to work on the team, and also how much to share with the rest of the world. Ah, good. Socrates is here. Now will you tell us what this is about? Said Dr. Bollier as we approached. Dr. Bollier wasn't as old as Drs. Naresh and Diane, and his head had a characteristic pattern of baldness ringed by black hair. He was a bit shorter than body, and had a strange combination of loose, wrinkly skin and above-average body fat that made him significantly below-average attractiveness, 3rd percentile, even for someone of his age, 7th percentile. The doctor's face didn't help matters. He was clean-shaven, and his large nose, which bent significantly to one side, seemed to take up most of it. Yes, and I'm sorry for barging into your experiment earlier, said the captain to Dr. Bollier. She turned to Body as she said, I had been told where to find you, Socrates, but didn't realize you'd be busy. My fault, I'm afraid, said Angelo Viglioni. At the party, I hadn't had the knowledge to truly see his features, so in a way, this was my first time seeing him. I told the captain here to go on through. I thought it was interesting how both humans attempted to identify themselves as the primary points of failure in the error. It was perplexing enough that I made a note to go back and study it. I remembered the director being big, but I truly understood what that meant now. Angelo Viglioni was probably 200 centimeters tall and had broad shoulders that made him into something of a giant. He was probably in his late 70s, but his body showed signs of regenerative medicine used to keep him healthy. His hair was swept back and a crisp white. He wore a large mustache without beard on a powerful face that bespoke lots of testosterone. I judged him to be in the 75th percentile by principal attractiveness component, which was quite a feat for someone of his age. He and the other directors wore old-style suits more evocative of the late 20th century than the mid-21st. Anyway, began Zephyr, the United States has decided that this research project constitutes enough of a threat to global safety. They've assigned me and my command to supervise Socrates and to ensure he is protected from enemy forces. We'll be taking over the security from here out. 
The captain moved, and as she did, I noticed two firearms at the waists of the specialists beside her. Safety also spotted them, making a public declaration that he would give me strength if I convinced these soldiers that body was worth protecting, and promising to enact a huge strength war if my actions led to them attacking body. I almost thought to start a conversation with Safety about how unlikely it would be to be attacked by these humans, but I decided that Safety probably already knew, and I should just accept the offer of strength payment. Convincing the soldiers to protect Body was very much in line with the purpose. In each moment, I was weighing which actions would impress the humans and which would gather animosity. In my mind, I could almost see social resources among humans like I could feel the relative strength of my siblings. Dr. Bollier made a strange noise, something between a grunt and a whine, before he responded to Zephyr. I don't see what business it is of the USA. We have already cleared this project with the Italian government and with the European Union. Director Viglioni stepped in, preventing Zephyr from responding. I understand your concerns, Doctor. The Prime Minister called me this morning and told me about the change. We're to give the Americans the same courtesy and permissions that we give to university security. One of the other directors, a woman by the name of Camilla Ferrari, added, We've been assured that the American troops will stay well out of the way of operations and will merely be a backup in case something happens. I saw Captain Zephyr nod. She seemed calm and comfortable, a definite contrast to Bollier's typical orneriness. When the doctor spoke, it was mostly to Zephyr. But why now? This project has been public knowledge for weeks. Why is the American Empire suddenly taking such a strong hand? The words American Empire drew a minor reaction from Zephyr. She squinted and frowned for just a half second but it was long enough for me to notice, and probably long enough for Dr. Bollier to notice as well. I didn't know enough about the United States of America to really understand the meaning of the words, but I guessed that Zephyr didn't appreciate her homeland being described in such terms. I saw an opportunity. In my time researching humanity on the web, I had been focused on the human form, but I had not entirely neglected other important information. One aspect of myself had been spending time reading world news. In that moment, I was able to connect what I had read with what was happening now. Figlioni started speaking, cutting off my opportunity. About two days ago, he began. His words confirmed my suspicion. The strength that I had collected from introducing the humans at the start of the conversation burned off me as I fast-tracked words to Body's lips. About two days ago, a laboratory in Shanghai specializing in mind-machine interface was destroyed by terrorists, said Body in a rapid monotone. I could see that Viglioni was annoyed at having been interrupted like that, and there was more. He was surprised. Surprised that I could talk over a human? Probably. I wasn't very confident in my understanding of human minds, but I hypothesized that Viglioni liked to be in control. I made a note to apologize to him in private later. Dr. Bollier, the balding control specialist, also looked surprised, though I suspected it had more to do with hearing the news for the first time. Now that body was speaking and I had a bit of time, I relayed my plans to the society and was relieved to find them agreeing to continue letting me speak. Most of my siblings were apparently engaged in other activities on the web anyway. The attack was suspected to be targeted at the laboratory, and the perpetrators are yet unknown. In short, anti-technology sentiment has grown strong enough that laboratories are in danger, and ours is near the top of the list. 
I confess that I am relieved to have the Americans here. The last bit was a gambit. Wiki grumbled at the inaccuracy of it. Safety was terrified that it would be interpreted as an expression of self-preservation, and that the scientists would detect his presence and the death of sacrifice again. But Growth could see the wisdom in it, and with his help I managed to convince the others. Zephyr smiled at Body, and I felt a surge of pleasure as I saw that the gambit had paid off. The soldiers didn't see a potentially threatening, inhuman machine with a suspicious desire for self-preservation. They saw a scared person who needed protecting. The more that the soldiers saw us as such, the more they'd trust us and serve as our bodyguards, regardless of whether we actually needed protecting. I could already feel the social capital building, and I had only just begun to play. Chapter 4 Over the next several days, my understanding of humans grew in leaps and bounds while Captain Zephyr and her company settled into the university where I lived. As promised, their presence was unobtrusive. A soldier was stationed in the lab with body at all times, but the Americans stayed well out of the way and rarely said a word. The one major exception to this was a more in-depth interview that we did with Zephyr shortly after that first meeting in the hallway outside the testing room. Zephyr had come with a few army programmers that knew something about artificial intelligences, and they asked Body and a couple of the scientists questions about our abilities and intellect. Zephyr, I noted, always asked Body questions rather than conversing with the scientists. It really did seem as though she thought of Socrates as a person. She also visited every now and again, mostly to check up on her troops and to make sure things were going smoothly. Dr. Bollier and Dr. Slavinsky didn't seem to like her for some reason, but I wasn't sure why exactly, and hadn't had the right opportunity to ask. On the other hand, Dr. Jan and the scientists that were from America seemed pleased by her presence, and always greeted the soldiers that escorted Body cheerfully. One morning, as Body was spending a regular face-to-face -face session with Dr. Naresh, I asked the doctor about his opinion of the American captain. I had long since finished upgrading Body's voice system, which also involved learning to speak English myself, rather than rely on the concepts provided by Body. I had been listening to dozens of recordings of people reading books in order to learn proper inflection and timing. I had no need for sleep, or even rest, and my multitasking ability meant that I could usually listen to four or five books simultaneously, so the entire process was fairly quick. Even while I was talking to Dr. Naresh, two aspects of myself were listening to books in Italian. As I asked about Zephyr, I tried to tweak the inflection of the words to convey that it was a casual question asked out of mild curiosity. It was impossible to tell whether I succeeded, but the voice matched known patterns I had archived in my studies. The old Indian scientist smiled. It was my impression that Sadiq Naresh had a great deal of positive regard for us, even from before my creation. The young captain, hmm? I don't really think I know her well enough to comment. I do not understand, doctor. Why would you need to know someone well in order to communicate your impression of them? Naresh chuckled. It's not so much that I cannot communicate my impression, but rather that there are social costs to sharing ignorant opinions of people. Have you learned about gossip yet? I used my notes to try and evoke a cautious tone. I have? Is that what I was asking for? I did not realize it. I thought that gossip involved talking about unconfirmed events. If it would be bad to talk about Captain Zephyr in general, then please forget I asked the question. 
No, it's fine. You need to learn about other people. Just be aware that things are complicated with humans, and it is often better to keep one's mouth shut instead of describing others. The doctor paused for a moment, giving Body the opportunity to speak, but it remained silent. I've never been a soldier, but I've been a leader. It's not a facile thing, leadership, and youth makes it doubly hard. She's remarkable for that alone, though I find other aspects of her curious. For instance, she seems oblivious of the technical details of our work, and I would have assumed that her attitude would either be more relaxed or more contemptuous, but she seems genuinely enthusiastic for this assignment. I looked Naresh up and down. He was standing as he normally did while we talked, and his body language didn't communicate anything extra, as far as I could tell. His words were stiff and academic, but that was hardly out of the ordinary. Outside of Zephyr, Dr. Naresh was the human that had treated us with the most respect. He would occasionally ask what we wanted to do, for instance, or would sometimes ask for permission before subjecting us to a test, something no other scientist did. Best yet, Naresh almost always answered our questions. Contemptuous? Why would she feel that way? Asked Body, driven by the combined will of Wiki and me. This assignment, the job of protecting you from some unlikely danger, it's not the sort of position that will advance her career, I expect. If she was stationed on a base or somewhere along the UAN border, then she'd have the opportunity to impress her superiors. But this is a, I don't know how to describe it, a civilian guard duty? Even if she does a good job here, nobody would notice. If it wasn't for her positive attitude, I would have expected she was assigned here as a punishment. I should ask her about it, I suggested through body. The purpose was endlessly curious about human life, and this minor puzzle was no exception. Naresh frowned. No, I don't think that's wise. That's her personal business, and it would be rude to go poking about in it. It carries some of the same social costs as talking about someone without them present. Does that make sense, Socrates? I leapt at the opportunity. None of my siblings put up any resistance as I instructed Body to say, I understand. Thank you, Doctor. Your help with human etiquette has been very helpful. The doctor's frown turned into a smile, and I imagined the accumulation of a bit more social capital. From studying past experiences, I had learned that Sadiq Naresh saw himself as a great teacher, and he particularly enjoyed receiving praise as such. As long as he saw Socrates as his star pupil, he would help us and hold us in high esteem. By the way, sir, where is Dr. Gallo? I haven't seen her since the meeting. I was hoping to talk with her and help her understand that I'm not the danger she seems to think I am. In my studies of Naresh, I noted a kind of casualness that he expressed toward Gallo that spoke of a relationship that went beyond mere colleagues. My leading hypothesis was that they had been friends for at least several years, from before their current project. Oh, don't mind her. She's dealing with some things outside of the lab right now. I expect she'll be back before you know it. The casual body language had been replaced with a kind of tenseness. Naresh's eyes looked to the side, perhaps signaling that he was lost in thought about Dr. Gallo. The amount of information that humans displayed in their bodies while not speaking was impressive. Since upgrading Body's voice, I had been trying to master body language tricks such as where to move one's eyes, but I was still a novice. Anyway, said Dr. Naresh suddenly, clapping his hands together once. We should get back to talking about calculus, don't you think? Before the conversation had been redirected towards Zephyr, Naresh had been talking to us about advanced mathematics. 
According to the web, Naresh had been a maths teacher before he worked on the team that built us, and so I appreciated the opportunity to let him lecture on the subject. Every lesson was a step closer to the perception of star pupil. The subject itself was awful, though. I saw the value of math sometimes, and could do much of it with a trivial ease, thanks to the pre-built programs in my computer. But Naresh seemed to want more than brute force calculations. He had been trying to get us to apply the maths concepts to real-world phenomena. Wiki and Dream had shown some interest, but neither of them were smart enough to keep up with the human. An aspect of myself stayed behind to shape Body's words. Naresh had praised our human mode of speech earlier in the day, and we didn't want him to inquire as to why Body shifted how it spoke from one moment to the next. The rest of me, however, took the time as an opportunity to dig around on the web for more information about the humans I had encountered in my short life so far. Thank you to the following people. Dream by Drake Walker Robert Rain Ramsey Growth Kate Baker Vista Wiki by Chase Safety by Jim Hayes Camila Ferrari by Ka. Brian Zeman, Angelo Viglioni. Dr. Bolyai, played by Michael Gerstein. Dr. Naresh by Naveen Mishra. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is I Wanna Be Adored by The Stone Roses. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the continuation of Crystal Society. I